We're going to continue in our series. The past couple of weeks, we've been looking at a hunger for God's word and presence, and we're going to shift gears to another one of our core values. And today, we're going to talk about healthy homes and families. And I know a lot of times, for those of you who've been in the Connect class, when we talk about healthy homes and families, one of the things that we say is that the church is only as strong as the marriages that are represented in the church. And so we focus in a lot on the marriage aspect during Connect class, and we look at what it says. Uh, the marriage should look like in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and, and in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we talk about having godly order in your home. And, and, and all of those things still apply. And if, if you haven't gone through Connect class and I Heart Church is your home church, I, I highly recommend you going through that because it's not going to be the same messages that you hear here. This is kind of the different spin and hitting different aspects, and especially in this message because when I was praying about what to share when it comes to having uh, healthy homes and families, I really felt like God wanted me to focus in on the children, and then God wanted me to focus in on parenting and, and how to raise our kids. And, and I know for some people, you're like, but I don't have kids. And others, you're like, I am a kid. Why am I going to listen to this? And some of you may say, my kids are grown up and, and have moved out of the house and all of those things. And I want to encourage you guys, don't fog out because your kids are out of the house. Don't fog out because you may not have children now or you're a child yourself because one day you will have children and, and or you have relationships that you can use these things with young individuals to be able to influence their lives. It may not be children. It may be grandchildren. It may not be grandchildren. It may be nieces or nephews. It might even be neighbor kids. You know, in, in, in my life, uh, everybody knows that I have four kids, but I also have kids that I've adopted as my own. And, and, you know, I've even got one of my daughters sitting on the front row over here beside Eden. Katie is a daughter that I've adopted into my family and, and treat her like uh, other kids in my family. I try to run off the boys from trying to date her and all this stuff too, because it's not just about your biological, physical kids. God gives us influence with young individuals, and we need to recognize the young individuals that we have. Maybe you're a coach and the team that you coach. These things can apply into their life and how you can influence their lives. And so, we're going to, uh, I think the reason why we need to focus in on this is because there has been a massive attack on youth and there has been a massive attack on children. I mean, we are not in the days anymore where you can just turn on a cartoon and, and let your kids watch cartoons and know that it's going to be okay. Because some of the cartoons that we have today have cursing, have sexual content, have all of these things. And, and it used to be like you could just watch a Disney show and at least Disney was clean and wholesome and and everything, but now even even with Disney and things, there's there, there's same-sex attractions and all of these things that are are in those things that are influencing children. And so now is a day where, as parents or as grandparents or aunts and uncles or neighbors or whatever, that we need to be more involved with our kids than ever before. We need to be engaged in what is going on in their life. And we talked about this early on in COVID, how God has kind of hit a pause button for us to be able to get some of our priorities and things back in line to be able to spend more time with our children. You know, sometimes we're not working the same hours. You don't have the same extracurricular activities that are going on. And as some of those things start back up, it's very important that we continue to be engaged in our children's lives. 
And we look at the life that we're in and, and how God has given us this extra time with young people around us and with our kids and, and, and everything. And it's important that we ask ourselves, how are we using the time that God has blessed us with? And so today, I want to give you three investments that every parent needs to be making into their kids. And, and, and this, is, this even goes for kids that are old and moved out of the house. I, I want to give you uh, three investments that you can make into your nieces and nephews, your grandkids, or even kids in your neighborhood or kids that you coach. And I believe if you make these three investments, it can make a difference in their life and in their walk with God. And so the first one is this. Uh, one, the first investment that we want to make is we want to invest in them relationally. We need to develop relationship beyond just being their parent, beyond just being their aunt or the uncle. Relationships take intentionality. It takes purpose. It, just, it doesn't happen naturally and, and everything. It takes you being willing to take a step toward, to invite them to, to do things. It, takes time that you plan. One of the things that we do in our house is we have a family night. And on family night, that is a night when it's Holly's only. And, and we, we, we've opened it up and, and we'll invite some of these kids in sometimes that, that we invest in and they, they're a part of that. But for the most part, you know, there's no ministry, there's no, uh, you know, uh, cell phones and all of that. This is time when we just focus on our family. We'll go take a hike, we'll go get ice cream, we'll, we'll play board games, we'll do a puzzle, we'll do things like that. And some of you be like, well, I got teenagers and my kids won't do it. I've got teenagers and they do it and they love it. Because it's all about relationship. If they don't feel like they can talk to you, if they don't feel like you care about them, if the only connection they have is when you're correcting them or fussing at them or trying to get them to do chores, then relationship will be strained. But if they know that what's going on in their day matters to you, and this is where family dinners really matter. And at dinner, put down the cell phones and all of that and just begin to ask each other about your day and, and, and ask questions beyond how was your day because every parent knows that if you ask a teenager, how was your day? Good. Wow. Thank you for elaborating on that. that that's great. It's kind of like, pulling teeth to kind of get answers. And so one way that you can do that is versus asking, how was your day? You can say, so hey, what was the highs and what was the lows of your day? And you can begin to talk about that because then they have to think about something that was really good during the day and something that was really bad and they can't just look at you and say, good. What does it do? It opens up door for relationship. It, it opens up doors for discussion, because there's many of us that we want the blessing of God in our life, and there's many of us that we have the blessing of God in our life, and we don't even realize it because it's in the shape of a child. Psalms 127 verse 3 says that children are a gift of the Lord, and that the, womb, that the fruit of the womb is a reward. And so in other words, children are a blessing, 
Now, I know the picture that a lot of times the world paints is that children are a headache or children are an inconvenience, that children get in the way of your hobbies or in the way of your career, that children break stuff all the time and you're having to fix it, that there's always things that you have to work through and there are inconveniences and things that go along with it. But God says, I didn't give you inconveniences and headaches. I gave you blessings. And it's the same thing with any blessing. How many, a financial blessing can be a curse in your life if you don't use Use it correctly. Look at all the people who have won the lottery. Ask Mr. Whitaker about winning the lottery. And there was even a news article that he had, the the man in, in Summers County who won the lottery, and he said that winning the lottery was like a curse on his life because his life went downhill. Even a blessing can become a curse in your life if you don't properly take care of it if you don't fulfill it. And so sometimes when our kids are a little bit of a struggle to deal with and things, sometimes we need to look at how are we dealing with them? Do we have relationship with them? Are we invested in their life? The second thing that we gotta do besides invest in them relationally is we need to invest in them spiritually. Listen, one of the most important things that you can do is share the word of God with your kids and pray with your kids. You know, every night, if I am in the house, I am praying over my kids. And I pray the same prayer. I pray, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. May you see his face. May you hear his voice. May you live your life to serve others. And may you walk holy and humbly before him. Why do I pray that prayer? One, because it's a priestly prayer that in, in numbers that the priest would pray over the congregation and the people. So there's a blessing, a father's blessing that goes upon them. But the second thing is, is when I'm praying, the, the second part about seeing God's face and hearing God's voice and, and, and live their life to serve others and walk humbly and holy before God, that's my desire for their life. Because I know if they encounter God's face and, and, and see his face and they encounter his voice and they live their lives to serve others, then they're going to be strong men and women of God. And my kids, even at teenagers now, and they may just be trying to delay bedtime or whatever, but even at teenagers, they will not go to bed until they come in to where I am or until I go where they are and I pray that prayer over them. It gives them security. It gives them vision. As I'm praying that may the Lord bless and keep you, I'm speaking the word of God over their life. One of the greatest investments that you can do is not only prayer, but speak the word of God into people's lives. And when you do that, so when you're correcting them versus saying, when they say, well, I don't understand why it has to be this way, because I said so. And when you get your house, you can make the rules. Come on, let's be honest. How many parents have fallen into that trap before we've said that? Come I know there's more than one parent who has said, because I said, there we go. Come on, the truth will set you free. Some of the kids are reaching over and raising the parent's hand for them. You say that all the time. But the word of God is living and it's powerful. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce through bone and marrow to the very intentions of the heart. So sometimes when you can't get through because sometimes kids can be a little hard-headed. Anybody got hard-headed kids in here? They, they, I mean, they, 
They can be that. Can, can I tell you something? Even pastor's kids can be a little hard-headed sometimes. I know sometimes there's this picture of pastor's kids are supposed to be perfect and holy and all that stuff, but, but my kids got issues too, and, and, and we have to work through those issues too. And these are things that I'm learning to walk through. And I'm telling you, I'm not preaching this from a place of perfection where I feel like I have achieved this and, hey, everybody, listen to me because I am the greatest father in the world. In my words of wisdom, no, no, no. I fell at this every bit as much as I succeed at this. And this message is a reminder for me. And a lot of times when I preach these things, it's a realignment for me to get things right. Sometimes I'll have our kids write out scripture when they're struggling versus just grounding them or taking their phones away or whatever. We'll have them write out scriptures and some people are like, you punish people with the word of God? No, 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 no. I invest the word of God into their heart. Why? Because as they're writing it, they're reading it. And as they're writing and reading it, guess what it does? It goes down into your heart. And what did David say about having the word of God in your heart? I hide your word in my heart. Why? So that I don't sin against you. If they have a sin that they continue to struggle with, then I'm going to find the word of God that's going to go and begin to cut away at the sin that they're struggling with. If they're struggling with pride, if they're struggling with selfishness, then I'm going to find scriptures that deal with that. If they're struggling with anger, then I'm going to find scriptures that deal with that. If they're struggling because they got a potty mouth, then I'm going to find scriptures that deal with that. Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good for edification, the building up that administers grace to the hearer is what you just said. Does it minister grace to the hearer? You know, this, uh, actually yesterday we went on a hike with our kids and, 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 uh, and it's one of the things that we do relationally is sometimes just go hiking and sometimes the kids don't want to go and we just don't give them an option. We're like, get in the car, get some hiking shoes on. We're going. Yesterday we went to Twin Falls and we were walking down the falls and my son, uh, the, the path kind of splits off and, and there's one path that goes up to the left that has the little diamonds that shows you that you're on track and everything. And I said, guys, we go this way. And my son ran off down the other path and he continued, but dad, it's going the same way. Elias, go back and circle around. That's the wrong path. But dad, it's going the same way. Well, we were heading the same direction, but he was getting farther and farther away. And I'm like, Elias, circle back around. But dad, it's going the same way. Son, it might be going the same way, but you are getting farther and farther away from us. And I told Melody and I told uh, uh, Eden, I was like, I'm going to go back. And Zia went back with me and we go pick Elias up, meet him back at the fork in the path and get him back going the right way. And I said, son, do you realize why you can't just run down that path? What if you came upon a copperhead or something like that? The past two hikes we had been on, we, we came upon copperheads. In fact, my son stepped on a copperhead two weeks ago. He had flip-flops on, stepped on a copperhead, and thank God it didn't bite him. The snake got scared and took off versus turning and attacking. I said, God, don't, don't you realize that? He said, but Dad, it goes the same way. I said, son, what does the Bible say? It says, there is a path that seems right unto man, but the end in it is death and destruction. So even though it seemed like we were going the same way, it was taking you farther away. And what if you slipped and fell? What if somebody grabbed you and ran off? What if you got bit by a snake and we couldn't get to you and we didn't know what happened or we couldn't hear you? And so we come back around and, and I noticed that Eden and Melody have stopped on the path 
And Eden's like, Dad, there's a copperhead up here on the path, a foot off the path. And sure enough, there was a copperhead curled up and right, off, right outside the grass, where the path started in the grass, there's a copperhead sitting right there. And I was, I was like, Elias, what if that copperhead would have been on the path that you were on by yourself? And you didn't see that. See, because you were with us, we were able to see the danger and you didn't get hurt. We was able to eliminate the danger and cut off its head and get rid of it before it had a chance to bite you. And I can guarantee you this, the next time that we go hiking, my boy ain't gonna run off on another path. Why? Because we taught him versus just yelling at him and saying, don't go on the path because I said so. We showed them the reason I corrected him with scripture. And the rest of the time, he didn't run off by himself anymore. He stayed right there by us for the rest of our hike. You know, there's a family that's heard us talk about that, about teaching uh, your kids and correcting them with the word of God. And so they have their kids write lines or, you know, write scripture and things like that. And and so one of the guys actually texted me, uh, and, he, and he said, hey, I got to tell you this funny story. Uh, my youngest daughter was writing lines because, uh, you know, there were some things going on. So she was writing some lines and stuff, and she comes into the kitchen, and she tells my wife, I don't have to write lines, lines. And we're like, well, really? Why don't you have to write lines? Well, because the rapture is going to take place, and I'm not going to be able to live this stuff out, so I don't have to learn the lessons anyway. Come on, you might be a church kid if you use the rapture as an excuse for disobedience to your parents. But I'm telling you, I've watched how when my kids' heart are hard, and no matter how much we talk, you, you ever been at that point where you're talking and you can tell it's blank stare, there ain't nothing going through, and it's just as soon as you're saying, they're answering back. And when I see that point, that's when I have them write the sentences and stuff. Because I've watched how they can be stone-faced and just adamant that they're right and that we're wrong. And then after three or four minutes of sitting there writing scriptures, you just see tears flow down their face. Because they realize, and see, that's the thing, parents, you've got to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. If you're just giving them a bunch of philosophy and because I said so's and all that stuff, that's not going to change the heart of a man. But if you sow the word of God and then the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to take that word and just start dealing with them and moving in their hearts and lives. But the thing about it is, is sometimes we're just like those kids. And if we're honest, we're looking for a reason why we don't have to obey what the word of God says. And as parents, we have to realize one thing, that more is caught than what is taught. That what your kids see you do and the way your kids see you live your life will go far more, uh, it would be far more effective than any words that you can say. If you teach one thing, you have to honor me as your parent and authority, but they hear you rail government authority and they hear you rail against your boss and, and, and all of those things, then they are going to follow the example that you're setting, not what you're speaking. 
If you say God needs to be the center of your life and he has to be first in your life, but you allow every other thing to keep you from being in God's house or, or, or tuning in online and having church in your home or, or uh, even just little things of obeying God in, in small little areas in your life, kids will watch it and look, they'll call you out on it too. Come on, anybody else have any Holy Ghost juniors in your house? Like they know enough of the word of God to use it against you. And you can't sit there and argue with them because you're like, you're right. And here's the thing, even as a parent, when you're corrected by the word of God, you have to, you have to be like, ouch. I need to, I need to make some adjustments. And that's why even in the Old Testament when Moses was teaching his people about how you need your homes to look and what your homes needs to look like. He didn't say, hey guys, this is what you need to do. You need to sit around and hold Bible study in your house every single night. So all you men, you get a round table and you, you sit down and you go through the book of Revelation and you teach them about the end times. You go through this and you, you know, like it, that's not the way that he said to do it. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says this. He says, you need, you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, uh, with, with all your might. And, and these words that I'm commanding you today, it needs to be on your heart. Why does it say it needs to be on your heart? Because the Bible says that out of your heart, the mouth speaks. What you're speaking is what you're going to be doing in front of people. And here's the thing, there are a lot of Christians that have all the knowledge they need right here. But they need to move that down to right here and begin to live it out in front of their kids. If you want your kids to love the Lord, your God, with all their heart, you need to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart. So when you're in here and your kids are sitting beside you because they can't go sit with friends because we sit you by family units and everything like that, while, while they're sitting right there beside you, you need to be making sure that you're not disengaged and being like, oh my gosh, are they singing this again? I mean, we've said, Jesus, I love you. Like, we love you like 15 times. Can we, can we, get, can we move on to the next song? You set the example of what a worshiper looks after it hits 12 o'clock, you're not sitting here like, hope he finishes up quick. But you're leaned in, you're engaged. Because more is caught than taught. That's why he says, listen, yes, you teach your sons. But he says, this is how you teach them. He says, talk with them as you sit in your house. When you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you raise up. That's why it was so important for me as we're walking down a trail to take time to correct Elias and talk to him. He says they need to be a sign upon your hand and they need to be on the frontals of your forehead and you write them upon the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Bind them, and, and, and chapter 11, he goes back to this again. Bind them as a sign upon your hand and you shall write them on the frontals of your heart and you shall teach them the sons of God, talking to them and, and, and when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you raise up, you will write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates and so that all the days uh, that you may be multiplied in the the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers as long as the heavens remain above the earth. In other words, <laughs> forever you keep doing it. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you teach your kids this way. When they move out of the house, 
you still set an example. You reach out to them in love. You send them texts to encourage them. You invest in them to the best of your ability. And listen, Moses didn't forget that he had talked about it. You, you ever had a conversation where somebody says the same thing over and over again? Like sometimes you go to a grandparent's house and they tell you the same story five times in the 30 minutes that you're there. Come on, anybody ever been there? Moses isn't having a, 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 a thought blimp where he, he, he forgot what he was talking about. The Spirit of God saying, listen, this is how I want you to parent. I want you to teach them every day of your life. As you go along your life, it goes on, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul wrote this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. In other words, discipline is, instills correction as part of it. So you discipline them and correct them with the word of God. How many of you have ever been in a service before or listened to a sermon before that as you hear the person preaching, it feels like they're stepping on your toes. It feels like they must have been bugged my car and invaded my car and been listening to the things. My, my wife must have texted the pastor about what to preach on this week and all that because it seems like it hits home. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in our life. And when we speak the word to it, he can do a work. Invest the word, but not just invest the word, but teach them. that The discipline, you think about spiritual disciplines, about getting up and reading the word of God every day, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship, being faithful to be a part of God's house, serving the community, and all those different things. Those are spiritual disciplines that you can demonstrate in front of your kids and teach them along the way. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, to train your children in the way that they should go. When they're old, they will not depart. When you think about training, training isn't something that's light and easy. Anybody ever trained for a marathon or anything like that before? You trained for a Spartan race or you trained for that type of thing. I mean, you, you don't just run a couple laps and then just go jump into a marathon. And in fact, you don't even just extend how many miles that you run every day. So I'm going to run one mile, then I'm going to run two miles, then I'm going to run three miles, then I'm going to run four miles. You don't ever do that because that's not the way that you build endurance. You know how you build endurance? You go run some hills. You, go, you, know, like you don't run downhill all the time to get your, your, your mile minutes, uh, you know, where the, it looks better. Instead, you go find the biggest hill that you can, and you take off running up the hill, and then you walk back down the hill, and then you go run the hill again, and you walk back down the hill, and you go run the hill again, and, 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 and it, it may look like people in the neighborhood may think you're crazy and all of that, but running uphill takes more cardiovascular energy and more breath and all of that, and what you are doing is you are training and disciplining your body to be able to, if you can run uphill and continue to do that for a consistent period of time, when you get on a flat service, man, it's easy. When you're training for a Spartan race, you don't just see if you can pull yourself up the thing once because you got all kinds of obstacles and things that are going on. You don't just carry the minimum weight that you think that you're going to have to carry in those big buckets or anything like that. You put heavier weight, heavier weight, heavier weight, and you do it over and over again. Why? Because you're building muscle, you're building endurance, you're building strength. And when we train our kids, listen, Sometimes it's hard. So many parents want to buffer their kids from feeling any pain. 
But are you going to be able to run a marathon without feeling pain? No. You can run the marathon because you've learned to press through the pain. Are you going to be able to do a Spartan's race or anything without having any pain and without having any soreness or anything? Anybody ever tried to work out? You get sore after the first day you work out. You wait till the soreness goes away, and then you work out again, and then you get sore again, and then you're just like, I'm tired of getting sore, so I'm not doing this anymore, and you quit. I mean, you've got to press through the soreness. You have to press through the pain. When you're parenting, sometimes there are going to be things that hurt. There are going to be times when you have to allow your kids to feel the pain of the mistakes that they've made. You can't come in and save the day all the time. Sometimes the way that you can discipline them in the way of the Lord is allow them to feel pain. Doesn't God do that to us? Does he come and rescue us from everything or do we have to push through some of those things? We are in a time right now where every person around the world is pushing through pain and depression and hurts and wounds and confusion and fear and all of those things. We are all battling the same types of things at once. And everybody says, well, if God was a good God, why would he allow these things to happen? Because he is a good God. And because he's teaching us how to endure when hard times come. And when we don't come in and save the day for our kids all the time, we allow them to endure some things. It develops character. It develops perseverance. It, it, it means that when they get outside of your house, they have a genuine relationship with God, and they're not relying upon you. Why is it that so many kids, when they go away to college, that they leave their faith and they walk away from God and they don't want anything to do with God? Because the parents were carrying the weight the whole time. Because the parents were trying to save their day every time. And they never let the kids feel the weight. They never encouraged the kids to be in, uh, uh, in disciplines and all of those things. And so when they get to the point of where they're tested and tried, they don't have you to come in and rescue the day. And they make their own decisions and they realize life is harder than what I thought. There's less resistance to go with the path that the world is on than the path that you're telling me. Listen, you need to teach your kids that in life sometimes the path that God has you go on is in opposition, and most of the time the path that God has you on is in opposition to the way that the world is running. I mean, Scripture talks about this, that narrow is the way that leads to life. And few will find it. Why does it say few will find it? Because there's few people that are willing to push through the pain of being unpopular, of being unliked. And they compromise their truth to the world's truth because that's easier. But if you teach your kids with the word of God and you live the word in God in front of them, and your kids are going to see the fruit of living the word of God. I've watched my parents push through pain, and they kept going. They didn't let them stop. I've watched my parents submit even when they didn't agree with it. I've watched my parents walk in humility even when people were attacking them. I've watched that. And so I'm going to follow that path, and they'll be more willing to take that. You know, when we, COVID started, we're talking about the extra time that God has given us with our kids. And the question is, <laughs> what are we doing with it? 
Because here's the thing, as parents, there's nobody who has more time than you with your kids. I want to show you this real quick. I'm not doing any magic tricks. I'm not making anything disappear or anything like that with the, the thing up here, but I want to show you some stuff. Let's say in a week, everybody have 24 hours in a day? Everybody has seven days a week. Everybody got that? So we all, we all got the same amount of time. Well, I guess we're all equal on this. 168 hours a week. If you come to church on a Sunday, each gumball represents an hour. Your kids are in church, you're in youth group for about an hour. Unless Pastor Brandon goes long and they have to stay in there longer. This represents the church's influence. Because before Corona, a lot of parents just brought their kids to church and wanted us to disciple their kids. But can I tell you something? You can't disciple somebody one hour a week. This is 40 gumballs. On average, a student is in school eight hours a day, five days a week, 40 hours. You see the major difference in influence in between the church and the school? Can I tell you something? This is why it's so important that parents pray about where they put their kids in school. And this isn't an anti-public school type message because I know there are some amazing public school teachers who truly try to share the word of God. And, 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 and you, you know, some, some schools, they have a group of, of kids that are solid and, and walking the same direction, have the same things as you do. But in a lot of public schools, God isn't even welcome. You can't even say Merry Christmas because that's just not even right. But if this is your life and this is the church influence and the influence of the school is not an influence in a school that's heading the same direction and teaching them the same values as you, look what happens when you pour that in there. You can't even see the church's influence anymore. And I want to encourage parents that if you realize that your school is teaching things against the word of God, if you realize that the teachers in your classroom, if your teachers in your classroom are too afraid to pay for their kids in school, then you either need to homeschool them or you need to get them in an environment where they can hear the word of God and the word of God is accepted and allowed to be there. And listen, if you are a teacher in the public school, and God, I encourage you to use the influence that you have to try to point kids in the right direction. Because you public school teachers, look how much influence you have in their life. But what are you doing with it? But then if you look at the big jar over here, this is the parents' influence. 121 hours a week. You were with your kids. Some of you are like, well, but that includes sleeping. Now, even if your kids sleep 10 hours a day, you still have 57 hours a week to invest in your kids' life. What are we doing with them? I can tell you this. The reason why we started a Christian school is because we realize how much influence we can have. As a church and as a youth group, we are limited to one gumball, but as a school, we get 40 invested in their life. And we can see a bigger change in their life as a school than we can as a church. But think about this. If the church is pointing them in the right direction, 
they got a school where you're homeschooling them and they're pointing them in the right direction and then you use your influence to point them in the right direction, that is going to be a child that in every area of their life are trained in the ways of the Lord. And we have the promise that if we train them in the ways of the Lord, they will not depart when they grow old. And I know there's fears. How can I pay for Christian school? How can I do homeschooling? All of those things. I want to tell you something. I have never had the money outright just to go and write a check for private school. I've, I've always watched how God provided. Even this year, Chanin's getting ready to start preschool, and that's a new kid and, and uh, that, that, that we have to pay for. And we're trying to figure out how in the world are we going to pay for preschool and three kids already in school. And by the way, we do pay. It's pastor's kids don't go for free. We pay. We prayed about it. God, if this is what you want, then you work it out. And you know what? God provided the money in full. And God always has done that for us. There was one year when we didn't have the money. And you know what? Melody bought some curriculum, set up a classroom, became a homeschool mom for that year. Because we realized what investment you know, we, we, we don't have cable in our house. We cut it. Why? So that we can pay for school. We don't drive new vehicles. Why? So that we can pay for school. Because I'm willing to sacrifice anything for my kids. And that's not trying to make anybody feel bad. It's just I see the need and the urgency and the importance. I just want to encourage you guys, even video games and stuff, guys. Fortnite, all this stuff. I know your kids like it, but those, there's internet. There's different things. There are predators who are connecting in with people. You realize that most students, average age for a boy to be exposed to pornography is first grade. Average age for kids overall is nine years old. They've already been exposed to pornography. I would be willing to bet and some of you, if you took the time to sit down with your kids about some of the things they've been exposed to, you would be amazed. And I challenge you to do it. But I, I want to add something. When they tell you what they've been exposed to, don't freak out on them. Because if you do, you'll shut the door. They'll never come talk to you again. And a lot of kids go through life and they're hurting and they just want somebody to talk to. They just want somebody to reach out to you know what? God put you there as the parent to be that person to help put them, point them to Jesus. And that's the third thing I want to tell you. By doing this, you're going to feel overwhelmed by some of the things you hear. You're going to be like, how in the world am I supposed to keep my kids from all of these things and, and all of this? And that's where the third investment comes in. You invest in them prayerfully. I have watched when my kids go through things, whether it's depression or struggles with an area of sin or whatever it may be in their life, and when me and Melody begin to press in and pray over that child, I have watched God turn their hearts. And God tells us in 1 Peter 5, he says, cast all your cares upon me 
Cast all your anxieties upon me because I care for you. I love the way that the NLT puts it. He says, cast all of your worries. Anybody ever worried about your kids before? He says, just cast all of that upon me. Why? Because I care for you. Can I tell you something else? God cares for your kids. And as much as you love them as a parent, as much as you love your grandkids, as much as you love your nieces and nephews and all that, God loves them far more than even you can. And when you can't do anything, when you invest in them relationally, you invest in them the scripture and the word of God and spiritual investment, praying with them and and all of that. And it seems like things are still going crazy. And, And I'm telling you, we've been through seasons where we've seen that. You begin to invest in them prayerfully. You begin to take them to the feet of Jesus. I heard somebody say this one time that that they literally picture themselves and they picture Jesus on the throne and them just carrying every one of their kids and just laying them at the feet of Jesus. You know, a lot of Christian parents, they bring their kids to the house of God and they bring them up on the altar and they pray over their baby to be dedicated. But I want you to realize something. Think about this. The story that we use for that is the story of Hannah who and, and Samuel. When Hannah and Samuel, when Samuel got old enough and he was weaned and everything, what did he do? She took Samuel to the house of God and left him there for everyday service of the Lord. Now I'm not saying that y'all bring your kids here for me to raise. But that was a representation of not just one time bringing my kid and saying, here's my kid, I want them to serve you their whole life. She did it daily. I believe one of the most powerful things we can do as a parent, even if your kids have rebelled and are living in sin, even your kids are outside the house, is hit our knees bring our kids. And if you don't have children, bring somebody else's children. Guys, there's so many of you that have been so amazing showing the love of God. You open up your home and you invite other kids in. You foster those kids. Guys, do the exact same thing. Invest in them relationally. Invest in them spiritually. Invest in them prayerfully and watch what God would do in their hearts and in their lives.